Thank you, Father God. We thank you for such a precious time in worship this morning. Uh, thank you, Lord. Lord, we love you. We bless you. We praise you. We thank you. simply amazed at all you are doing in our church, in our lives, in our nation. And Lord, we choose to uh, celebrate this weekend. Um, so happy, happy Australia Day, folks. Happy, happy Australia weekend. Uh, I'm not ducking and weaving from that. Uh, I'm not going to be put on a guilt trip. And uh, I'll get more into that as we go. But um, while we don't agree with all our history, just stay there for a moment. I'm going to help you. Yeah, no, Roger, you can go, buddy. Uh, while we don't agree with all our history, our appreciation is from a deep place, a deep place of care and love for our fair land, our beautiful country, and the people in it, each one made in God's image including, of course, our wonderful constellation of indigenous communities and many other cultural groups. This is God's great south land of the Holy Spirit. Can I hear an amen? With destiny and prophetic purpose under God. Say under God. And this weekend is a pause and a reflect of the many reasons why we can be truly thankful to call Australia home. There are a huge, there are huge positive aspects in coming together to celebrate our nationhood, especially the gospel reaching our shores. Can I hear an amen? We have many national days reserved for reflection and mourning, but this weekend should be a time of thankfulness for the good things we are privileged to share, including education, healthcare, our economy, employment, food, shelter, and our democracy. Can I hear an amen? amen? We do well to reflect and learn from the past wrongs. And yes, our history has sin involved, but so does every past and every culture on the planet. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That is what makes the good news, the unmerited favor of God shown to us through the sacrificial life of Jesus. That's good. In many places in the world, we have seen the tragic consequences of unhealed bitterness, unforgiveness, distrust, resulting to division. Where the fabric of a nation, nationhood, seems irreparably torn. And I pray, let's not go down that road. Today, this weekend, let's focus on the things that unite us as a country and not divide us. Amen? Bless. Amen. Give the Lord a hand clap. Woo. All right. Thank you so much, Charlie. I think where I'm going, um, I will need just that awkward silence. Uh, I'd like to have that pad going, but as you can tell, I need to give context for what I'm about to say this morning. I feel like I am on an assignment to speak some things into this weekend. Um, I really do feel like I'm born for this, to say this, and I feel I have an anointing to say it. 
So I don't <laughs> prefer, I do not like to say things. I am not, um, uh, where I don't feel the Lord is, is, is wanting me to say such a thing. So please, I've pondered over this all day yesterday in the spirit. Uh, Saturday is usually our Sabbath. And uh, it just, the message just came so easily. Uh, it's something that we have been living all the years, 27 years as a church. We've done many Many times of repentance for the sins of the forefathers. Julie and I have been uh, part of ceremonies where a contingency of English uh, grey-haired intercessors came in 1997 to Newcastle. And we didn't know what was going on, but we we thought we were just doing a leader's breakfast. And these ten elderly grey-heads from these mostly uh, mainline churches, but uh, charismatic churches, I would call them, uh, right from yeah, all, all the churches, uh, they said that they had something to apologize for. And these were six, six basically um, breaches on our nation. And I don't want to get into that, but definitely one of them was about our di- indigenous people. Um, and so, uh, yeah. And so tearfully, for an hour and a half, we went through a time of repentance where all the ministers... At Newcastle, about 40 ministers, I would say, on their knees, uh, crying for this. They call it identification of sin. And you can look in the book of Daniel where he does that, where Daniel, um, he identifies the sin of the land unto himself. He doesn't presume himself as so holy. That's not me. No, he says, me and my people, we have sinned. So it's very much like that. Uh, and we've done so much towards that over the years, and a lot of people don't realize that. And, of course, the Prime Minister said sorry in 2007, was it? Um, But look, all these political endeavors, they don't really work unless you have God behind it, and, and you... Can I just have that one minute? I need to do that straight up. I'm just working off my hip here a little bit. Let's do that one minute about forgiveness. Because without forgiveness, this is the number one message of Jesus just about. Let's just look at this one minute clip of what forgiveness can do. What's really interesting is the Greek word, the word here, the Greek word in Matthew chapter 6, verse 12, forgive. It says, and forgive. Kai ephiamai. And ephiamai, it literally means what? to release, to let go. What happens is when we live in bitterness, when we live in resentment, when we live in unforgiveness, we're cleaving onto the offense. We're we're hanging onto it as if it's such a major thing and we cannot let go of it. I love what John Stott said. John Stott says this, he put it so well. He says, once our eyes have been opened to see the enormity of our offense against God, the injuries which others have done to us appear by comparison extremely small. If on the other hand, we have an exaggerated view of the offenses of others, it proves that we have a minimized view of our own. Whoa, okay. So yours truly uh, comes from Wales and we were invaded too by the Spanish Armada that tried to invade Wales. They burnt their boats, uh, England repelled them, they burnt their boats and uh, s- uh, swam ashore to Wales, which is uh, the west coast of England, um, and they raped 
pillaged and plundered. And of course, that's where some say we got the dark skin, the curly hair. Uh, and now the, 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 the Roman nose, which I had until, uh, yeah, I broke it on uh, riding a motorbike. And um, be careful of that tree. Was that a Tarzan thing? <laughs> Um, you know, Wales was eventually, after 25 years of being repelled by the Welsh people, the tribes were united by a great leader, Welsh leader. Uh, for 25 years, they repelled uh, the legions of the Roman Empire. After 25 years, they broke through and took that leader, that Welsh leader, and paraded him back uh, in, uh, through to Rome. But because he had the gift of the gab, <laughs> the... Um, the um, the, the, the Roman, um, help me guys, emperor, yeah, the Roman emperor, he, he said, I'm not killing this guy, this guy's of too much interest, he, he knows the lay of the land, he's so well versed of the history and we're not killing him, he's, he, we need him, he just had the gift of the gab and uh, so he, he had actually freedom in the city of Rome, this Welsh leader. And so, yes, uh, definitely my father would have uh, uh, Italian because his hair was jet black. Uh, and, and yes, uh, he had some Roman features, I guess. So, um, war is a part, and, and it's, it's part, and I'll get into that, it, it's part of our whole history. I'm not discounting, oh, I've got to be so careful. I am not discounting uh, the personal injury to any any race, uh, any, any people, and I'll just try and do this message the best way I can. Okay, Julie's nervous for me. Uh, healing the nations, that is the title of my message, amen. And uh, why is Australia Day an issue? Celebrating the 26th day of January 1788 when the British flag was raised in New South Wales, celebrating over the centuries, but now attracting significant protests from the First Nations, dividing Australians saying it's a painful reminder of the beginning of the British colonization and the dispossession of First Nations. And it, it, it is real, it's a deep-seated, it's in their DNA, I get it. Um, but it, it can be dealt with uh, through Christ and through his blood and through forgiveness. It's not easy. I'm not trying to patronize the situation. Two competing stories about Australia are told. One is a nation building and the achievement therein. The other is of the theft, invasion, dispossession of indigenous land. The third story I'd like to announce is that we have this overarching, prophetic, global, nation, community, village story that centers around history, his story. History, but his story, the one we worship this morning which revolves around redemption, salvation, and the, uh, I, I guess the, the dealing of sin and bringing people into relationship with God. The five points of the gospel, creation. Now, this is an affront to, to any group that maybe at first would worship other things. So, but for us, I'll give you five points of the gospel. One, creation. God created everything. Uh, Psalm 24, verse 1, um, the, the Lord, uh, what is it, the world and who lives in it, um, what is it, I better read it out. Let's read it, 24, 1, the world is the Lord's and everything in it, 
the world and all who live in it. There it is, I got it. Um, so the world is the Lord's and the earth and everyone that lives in it. Ah, that, that's a hard one for people who love autonomy and like to believe this is our land and this is my life. So the second point of the gospel is sin. Adam and Eve followed sin to enter. I'll say it again. Sin is the second part of the gospel. Adam and Eve allowed sin, you know this, to enter into all creation. Jesus, the first point, Jesus. Jesus paid the price of the consequences of sin so we could be set free from it. For surrender. In order for us to have salvation, we must believe in Jesus and surrender our whole entire life to him. Another big problem for people that have their individual life, and especially in a pluralistic society, I'm not giving up my life to anyone. Five, eternity is the fifth point of the gospel. If we believe and follow Jesus, we live with eternal salvation if we do not follow Jesus, we live in eternal damnation, eternal separation, I would like to say. So let's just say this. Jesus is our Prince of Peace, and He is our Passover Lamb. He willingly laid down His life so that we could experience salvation, healing, deliverance, prosperity, security, and victory in our very lives. 2 Chronicles 7.14, which is a scripture we would preach on and speak on and sing about a lot over these last couple of decades. And this scripture goes, knowing that there was this sin element in our land, in the DNA of the soul of our, I guess, nation. And we would speak this and declare this scripture, 2 Chronicles 7.14, If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. Who knows our land needs healing? Every nation is in an uproar on the planet. Every nation. His story, his story gives testament to the fact that when people follow biblical principles, God's power is released in mighty ways, including the healing of the nations. That's good news. But the fact is, there's new lands, new nations, new wars. It's been the story of conflict all over the world since mankind was kicked out of the garden. Most accounts say there have been, have been no periods in history that have been free from war. Many scientists and scholars believe that humans as a species are aggressive, brutal, bloodthirsty, and this behavior is part of their DNA. Would we say that? Would we say that? In, well, it is, I'm, fr I'm afraid. <laughs> it's part of our DNA. In Genesis 4, uh, 1 to 18, the Hebrew word for sin, hatat, 
appears for the first time when Cain, the firstborn man, murders his brother Abel and commits the first act of violence. What is the Hebrew word for violence? Hamas, meaning violence, wrongdoing, is the Hebrew, Hebrew Bible's primary term for violence. I'm, I'm just going to give you some, I'll, I'll, I'll give you, maybe it's not the Reader's Digest version I'll give you this morning, but I'll be as, I'll, I'll try, basically it's the grandfather's interpretation of our, unfortunately we've dumbed the gospel down and dumbed the church down so much into a subculture group of pretending that if we do follow the biblical principles and we act nice, that everything will go fine for us. But I pray in these days that you would sniff the roses and realize we're in the most dramatic days on the planet with prophetic drama, cataclysmic events that are literally at our door and lapping up on our shore. Amen? So... We used to sound radical when we used to preach like this 10 years ago. Now it's going, yeah, we know that already, Pastor Phil. Do you know that you have a portion specifically allotted to you from God? The word inheritance means my portion. You can see that in Psalm 16, verse 5. We all have a portion from God, and this is about your soul too. You have a soul, and you're supposed to take that soul and take dominion over it and, and make it, disciple it, to be obedient to God. Otherwise, your soul will run amok into doing whatever it wants. So in that context, we all have a portion from God. We all have been given a space, a territory or arena in which we have been granted authority. I believe this to be true. How we steward that space is key to our success in the spirit realm. How you, how you steward that space in your home, in your workplace, in your car, in our church, matters. In fact, the climate of our domain reflects our relationship with the Lord. So whatever is happening in your home, it should reflect how you're doing well in the Lord, I hope. If you've got chaos and dissent and division... That is probably um, an indictment against your rela relationship with God. Therefore, our chief desire should be for the presence of our holy God to occupy our inheritance. Now, in Deuteronomy 1.8, chapter 1.8 and chapter 8.1 of paraphrase that we read, See, I've set the land before you, Go in and possess the land which the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give to them and their descendants after them. Every commandment which I command you today, you must be careful to observe that you may live and multiply and go in and possess the land of which the Lord swore to your fathers. I absolutely, Christian nations, 
and Muslim nations. I've watched some documentaries on the Muslims through Europe, what they did, my God. But also the Christians, the Crusades, yes, we are blamed for that, and it's true. Desperately trying to establish their boundaries, their borders, and their religion, and their dominion over the regions of the world. Is that true? Hence the great conflict at the moment with Israel, the Holy Land. We have another religion saying, that's our land. We want it back. We want that holy mount back because that's where we want to rule and reign. But the Bible says that's where Jesus is coming back to rule and reign. So that's why it's on for young and old about Jesus coming back to establish his kingdom. All right. Matthew eleven twelve, and this scripture, I don't know what exactly it means, but it has sentiments that I think that allow me to speak it. And from the days of John the Baptist, he did get his head cut off, until now the kingdom of heaven suffers violence and the violent take it by force. Paul addresses the Arapacus, uh, and this was Mars Hill, it was in Greece. This is the Apostle Paul, he's in Greece. He's standing on a hilltop which was famous for where they would debate uh, philosophy and religions. And he's standing just below uh, the Parthenon, I think it's a temple, it's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a false god temple. He's standing below that on this outcrop and he's addressing the people. And it's also where the officials cast judgment on crimes and that. So it's a very important place where he's standing. This is the Apostle Paul and he's speaking to the people of Athens. And he says in Acts 17, 22, and I've got to read this because it just gives great context. Then Paul stood in the midst of the Arapachus and said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in all things you are very religious. Now, just for context, imagine someone saying this when they turn up to a, um, another culture, another race. Back it up. Then Paul stood in the midst of the Arapachus and said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in all things you are very religious. And as I was passing through and considering the objects of your worship, I even found an altar with this inscription, to the unknown God. Therefore, the one whom you worship without knowing him, I proclaim to you. Wow, awesome. So you've been worshiping that, maybe worshiping nature or worshiping something, you know, but Paul's announcing, but I'll tell you where your worship should be directed. Therefore, the one whom you worship without knowing him, I proclaim to you, God who made the world and everything in it, since he is Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temples made with hands, nor is he worshipped with men's hands as though he needed anything, since he gives to all life, breath, and all things. 26, and he has made from one blood every nation of men to dwell on the face of the earth and has determined their pre-appointed times and boundaries of their dwellings. So he creates these regions, these boundary lines. Why? 27, so that they should seek the Lord. Have a think where you are living right now. 
or where you're going to live. I pray it would represent this scripture where it says he created the boundary lines. He created that region for you to worship God so that they should seek the Lord in the hope that they might grope for him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. 28, and in him we live and move and have our being, as also some of your own poets have said, for we are also his offspring. Therefore, since we are the offspring of God, we ought not to think that the divine nature is like gold or silver or stone, something shaped by art and men's devising. Truly, these times of ignorance God overlooked but now commends all men everywhere to repent. What's the first big statement Jesus makes when he goes public? Repent, for the kingdom of God has come. Well, who does he think he is? Repent. We're doing well here with our own stuff and our own culture and, you know, our own way of life. Who does this guy think he is? Well, that's what Paul's announcing. Truly, these times of ignorance God overlooked. But now, life is pretty brutal, isn't it? It's not nice when someone announces that to you. All these, uh, truly, these times of ignorance God overlooked, but now commands all men everywhere to repent because he has appointed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by the man whom he ordained. He has given assurance of this to all of us by the raising up from the dead of who? And when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked, while others said, we will hear you again on this matter. <laughs> so Paul departed from them because that's it, man. He couldn't have made a better statement than that. The Bible testifies to the people and the people groups and nations even turning their back on God. The 6,000 years of humanity since the fall in the garden when in fact he continues to warn, to speak, to intervene and declare his will of redemption and salvation. The prophet Isaiah says to a rebellious nation, this is the prophets now who hear God, who are trying to stand between God and humanity. They're holy people of God and they get the word of God. They get the blueprints. They get the word in season and it's usually straight at you know, it's down the line, it's not wishy-washy, it's very straightforward. And Isaiah is one of these men, and he has to deliver this message. In chapter 1, Isaiah, the prophet, the, the prophet Isaiah says to a rebellious nation, Hear, O heavens, and give ear, O earth, for the Lord has spoken. Imagine someone standing up in the central coast and saying that. Maybe I should. Who wants to do that? Any... any? Any volunteers? Tony? Tomorrow morning, we're going to get you a big loud hailer and on every radio and go to Westfield. And you're going to do this. Chapter 1, verse 2. Hear, O heavens, and give ear, O earth, for the Lord has spoken. I have nourished and brought up children, and they have rebelled against me. Verse 3, the ox knows his master. The donkey is owned the donkey, its owner's manger. But Israel does not know, he's talking about his very own people, know me, and my people do not understand. And if I was just a paraphrase going through there, 
Woe to the sinful nation, a people whose guilt is great. Verse 4. Verse 5. Why should you be beaten down anymore by life and by the curse of, of, of life itself? Being oppressed like that. Why? Verse 10. Hear the word of the Lord. Hear the word of the Lord. Verse 13. Stop bringing meaningless offerings, strange religious acts to me. Been very blunt about it. Verse 16. Wash and make yourselves clean. Redemption. Only through blood can you be redeemed. The life is in the blood. And that's a whole story from the beginning to now. The sacrifices of the animals in the Old Testament, the blood needed to be shed. Christ's blood was eventually shed as the perfect lamb for our salvation. Amen? And when the prophet tells them that their spiritual predicament finally is... Isaiah 1.18 says, come now, come now, let us settle this matter, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red as crimson, they shall be like wool. Now verse 19, if you are willing and obedient, you will eat the good things of the land. But if you resist and rebel, you will be devoured by the sword for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. It's amazing when you read the Old Testament. I can't help but think that the Lord is so wanting to be gracious and so compassionate. And, and of course, God's desire, God's longing, God's readiness to forgive, to heal, to provide, to save, I think is amazing. It's amazing grace, amen? And it stands out as you read it. God wants fairness, justice, sincerity. He doesn't need empty ceremonies, empty religion. Now, this is, could be talking about us too. Just, you know, doing church as a religious, appeasing God through a religious exercise. Empty religion. He's after your heart. He's after the very bedrock of your life, your heart where you really are. That's where you really are in your heart of hearts. And that's what Isaiah 1 is about. God telling his people, come now, quit your rebelling. Let me heal your hearts because you guys are sick more than you realize. People are more sick than they realize because they have sin. Amen? They have a disease called sin. They, they, don't, they don't like that idea, that notion. They would like to think that they are good, but there's no, no one good. Stop bringing me your meaningless hollow gifts. I can't stand your empty ceremonies. I'm sick of them. These are the sentiments of this chapter. Oh, dear Lord. I'm even thinking about the church. Maybe he's big screens, smoke machines, skinny jeans. Maybe he's sick of that. I don't know. I think he is. Because there's only one thing that can heal a nation, not political justice. Psalm 89 verse 14, righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. Mercy and truth go before your face. No political endeavor or good work will solve the grief, the trauma that's deep in this nation. Only Christ Jesus can heal it. The gospel, 
And that could be an affront and probably is to a people group, to a culture, to a race, all over the world. And it's because of human nature that it is. But then when you go to Isaiah 30, woe to the obstinate nation. I'm going to Isaiah 30 now. Isaiah 30 verse 1, woe to the obstinate children, declares the Lord, to those who carry out plans that are not mine, forming an alliance, but not by my spirit. Heaping sin upon sin. I'm going to let you read between the lines, guys. Sorry, I'm not going there. A rebellious people. Let's read Isaiah uh, 30. I have not written it down here, but I just need to because this, this message is quite paramount and I think it's worth filling in some of the blanks. Isaiah 30, verse 8 to 15. Sorry, verse 8 to 15. 30, verse 8 to 15. They say to the seers, see no more visions. Pull me up at verse 15. And to the prophets, give us more visions of what is right. Come on, give us the upside. Give us, the, give us a better version. Uh, you know, the preferred version of, of our vain imagination. Tell us pleasant things. Prophecy illusions. Leave this way. Get off this path. And stop confronting us with the Holy One of Israel. <laughs> Does that sound like anyone? Therefore, this is what the Holy One of Israel says. Because you've rejected the message, relied on oppression and depended on deceit, the sin will become for you like a high wall, cracked and bulging, then collapses suddenly in an instant. It will break in pieces like pottery shattering so mercilessly that among its pieces not a fragment will be found for taking coals from a heath or scooping water out of a cistern. This is what the Sovereign Lord, the Holy One of Israel says. In repentance and rest is your salvation. In quietness and trust is your strength. But you would not have any of it. Verse 16, again paraphrasing. You said, no, we will flee. The Lord will be gracious. Verse 18, yet the Lord longs to be gracious to you. Therefore, he will rise up and show you compassion. For the Lord is a God of justice. Blessed are all who wait for him. Verse 19, if you cry for help, he will hear you and answer you. And verse 21, I'm talking about Isaiah 30, verse 21, whether you turn to the right or to the left, your ears will hear a voice behind you saying, this is the way, walk in it. 22, do away with your idols. 23, we will send you rain. The land will be plentiful. There's the blessings. If that happens, Isaiah 30, 26, so it will be, now, this is in the NLT. It doesn't probably say this in the NIV or the New King James Version. But in the NLT, the New Living Translation says, So it will be when the Lord begins to heal his people and cure the wounds he gave them. Amen. You tracking all right? All right, let's discover some of the Christian heritage. Carl Stringer has written a great book, fascinating read. He's the original, he's the original um, Irwin, Steve Irwin of, of our Australian history. 
And uh, we need to learn about some of these early explorers, some of the great men of faith, pioneers, politicians, the men and women of God of God here. It's unknown, it's untaught that the first spoken words over the nation by one Fernandez, Fernandez de Quiros on the day of Pentecost, 1606. Not only this is a famous explorer, Spanish explorer, I'll say his name again. He spoke over this nation on, the, on, the, on his boat, sailing over here, Fernandez de Quiros on the day of Pentecost, 1606. Not only named Australia, south land of the Holy Spirit, but also claimed in the name of Jesus and for the proclamation of the gospel. That, was, that proclamation was made in 1606. Oh, my God. How many Australians are aware that Captain James Cook, uh, Captain Charles Sturt, Edward John Earl, Ludwig Leichhardt, Flynn of the Inland, and many other famous names were Christians? Our nation's constitution was written by Prime Minister Alfred Deacon, a born-again believer who prayed and fasted to hear from God. There are, have been 70 documented revivals where the Holy Spirit was poured out in the nation. And that's why, and I won't read this whole scripture out, but in Psalm 78 verse 1, you should tell the next generation, Oh my people, listen to my instructions. Open your ears to what I'm saying. I will speak in parables that I love. Verse 3, stories we have heard and known, stories our ancestors handed down to us. We will not hide the truths from our children. We will tell the next generation about the glorious deeds of the Lord, about his power and his mighty wonders. That's a great book for your children, parents. The story of Captain Charles, uh, Captain Charles Sturt, man of faith, Help me find him, Lord. Great story. So this uh, man of God, he came from England, um, lived in the 18th century, I believe. Uh, of course he did. Yeah. Oh, he was born in 1795. He lived to 1869. John. No, some great story. So when he went exploring inland and the rivers, he would go west. Yeah. Yeah, we can have some pictures showing up there. Um, again, I'm talking, about, I'm talking about the man, Captain Charles Sturt, man of faith, man of prayer, had a diary, would take journals. Would, when he announced he was going on an expedition, he would say to the men who would uh, just love to go on adventure in those days um, and be part of the exploration of, of this great land, he would say, guys, if you're going to come with me, you've got to get used to me praying every morning. And you've got to get used to relying on the providence of God. And they were, yeah, okay, you know, these criminals, convicts, a lot of them, yeah, yeah, whatever, yeah, let's go, whatever. Whatever, whatever floats your boat. Um, and so, <laughs> uh, some great quotes from him. And so there's one story. He, he's in a boat with his, his men sailing down a river. I'm not sure which one. In 1829, Sturt made a second expedition to locate the mouth of the Darling in the Murrumbidgee River. 
Humbly committing the safety of his party to the protection of Almighty God, he wrote, something more powerful than human foresight or prudence appeared to avert the calamities and dangers in which I, I and my companions were so frequently threatened. And had it not been for the guidance and protection we received from the providence of the good and all-wise being to whose care we committed ourselves, we should err this, having ceased to rank among the numbers of the earthly creatures. Didn't they, didn't they speak so wonderfully? <laughs> and, and this story goes like this. Um, Sturt records in the journal the famous incident of the confrontation with Aborigines, an incident which once again proved his faith in the Lord. As they travelled down the Murray River, hundreds of hostile Aborigines painted, brandishing spears, appeared to the river banks. The explorers tried desperately to appear non-threatening, but only succeeded in stirring and the natives even further to the place where they raised their spears and appeared determined to attack. As we sailed down the reach, we observed a vast concourse of natives, and on near approach, we heard their war song, but remarked that they were painted and armed as they are, prior to engaging in deadly conflict. Notwithstanding these outward signs of hostility, I continued to steer for the bank on which they were collected. An attempt to land would only be attended with a loss of life. The natives seemed determined to resist it. We approached so near that they held their spears quivering in their grasp, ready to hurl. They were painted in some various ways. Some were marked their ribs and thighs and faces with a white pigment, looked like skeletons. Others were dubbed over with red and yellow paint. A dead silence prevailed amongst the first ranks, but those in the background, as well as the women who carried supplies of darts and who appeared to have had a bucket of whitewashed capsized over their heads, were extremely clamorous. As I did not wish to conflict, conflict with these people, I lowered my sail, disappointed in the anticipations that natives ran along the banks of the river endeavoring to secure an aim at us but unable to throw with certainty in consequence of the outward motions of the boat. They flung themselves into the most extravagant attitudes and worked themselves into a state of frenzy by loud and vermin shouting. With an extreme reluctance to take away life, I foresaw that it would be impossible any longer to avoid an engagement. Yet with such fearful numbers against us, I stood up and made signs to the natives to desist, but without success. I took my gun. A few seconds more would have closed the life of the nearest of the savages, for I was determined to take deadly aim in hopes that the fall of one man might save the lives of many. But at that very moment, another party of blacks had made their appearance. I observed four men in the top speed, in, the, in top speed. The foremost of them threw themselves from a considerable height into the water. He stood in front of the savage against whom my aim had been directed. Seizing him by the throat, he pushed him backwards and forced all who were in the water upon the bank. At one, at one moment, he pointed to the boat at another, shaking his clenched fist in the faces of the most forward. For my own part, I was overwhelmed with astonishment and in truth stunned. So unexpected and so strikingly providential had been our escape. All wrangling ceased and they came swimming over to us like a parcel of seals. 
Thus, in less than a quarter of an hour, when we were at the point of bloody fray, we were peacefully surrounded by the hundreds who had so lately threatened us with destruction. And of the almost miraculous intervention of providence in our favor, there could not have been less than 600 natives, but this was not the only occasion upon which the merciful superintendents of that providence in which we humanly committed ourselves was strikingly manifested. When God is involved, when, when God is involved in a situation of great hostility and violence, God can bring peace. God can bring peace, even to, you know. So, this is what I want to say to finish off. The church and its gospel is about the healing of the nations through forgiveness. Let's put that, let's put, uh, no, don't put that on. I I need to do a couple of more scriptures. I, I want to quote this. I've never seen it before. A Christian monk, what's his name? Maximus the Confessor. And again, this is an affront to any people group, any race that would maybe suggest this. And the quote is, Christianity is an entirely new way of being human. Maximus the Confessor, theologian, Christian monk, 600 AD. Christianity is an entirely new way of being human. Jeremiah 1.9 says, Then the Lord reached out his hand and touched my mouth and said to me, I've put my words in your mouth. Verse 10, See, today I point you over nations and kingdoms to uproot, tear down, to destroy and overthrow, to build and to plant. Are we to relegate that scripture back to then? You, you, you can't just regulate, uh, relegate Jeremiah's calling solely to him or just the Old Testament. The revelation is, we, and this is what our guest speakers will be talking about next week, the revelation now, that we have now, in the last 2,000 years especially, we have been raised to sit with Christ in heavenly places. Yeah. Ephesians 2.6. To sit means to rule. We have been given keys to the kingdom, Matthew 16.19, as well as authority over the nations. Matthew 26, verse 18, the great commandment says, the great commission, then Jesus came to them and said, all authority and in heaven on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Now, Jesus, that's all right for us here, but surely you don't want us to take this message to the extremities of the earth, to every nation of the earth. That's going to cause a lot of geopolitical problems. But these are the words of Jesus. We are ambassadors for Christ, 2 Corinthians 5.20. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. We are employing people, employing nations, employing people groups. We are employing friends and family, neighbors to be reconciled to God. 
We are called to be intercessors. Hebrews 7.25 says, Therefore, he is able to save completely those who come to God through him, because he always lives to intercede for us. Our great and high priest, in fact, is interceding for the people of this world, but through us, the Father. He is interceding. But where does Jesus live? He, he's inside us, isn't he? He's in our hearts. And that if he is in our hearts, that means if we let Jesus live in us, we must be constantly in intercessory prayer because Jesus is interceding. The very life and breath of a Christian is intercession. For the first couple of decades of this church, we're always interceding. We've interceded for the atrocities that happened in this locality to do with the Aborigines. A lot of the men were slaughtered. Way back in the 90s, we heard that through an elder of the Aboriginal, uh, a Aboriginal group. And we're wondering why. Why did Wyong have a high mortality rate? Why did Wyong seem so bleak? Why did Wyong have the single amount of, uh, of uh, single mothers and, and suicide? We go, what? And we, we just moved here in 85. We went, what have we moved into? Oh, my God. I sh we should have moved into Terrigal, where all our fancy pants friends are. They don't know anything about this stuff. They're living the life. Co coffee on the beach at Terrigal. And... But we found out and... By the Spirit of God, we began to address some of these things. And that was one of the huge ones we addressed, the slaughter of men, which caused a curse of single families, uh, fatherless generation. The very life and breath of a Christian is intercession. It is our Father who will heal the nation. I'm nearly done. And present them to his Son to rule as his kingdom. Yes, we are his instruments. As his children to bring this about through prayer and intercession. Whose job is it to heal the nations? Our Father in heaven. Psalm 110 verse 1. The Lord says to my Lord. This is Father says to Jesus. The Lord says to my Lord. Sit at my right hand. Until you can put that song on there. Video, song, great ministry. If you want to listen to some great word of God ministry, this guy was full blown depressed five years ago. Comes from the Netherlands, full blown depressed musician, no success, just really tragic life. Got saved five years ago. He said, What am I to do with this gift? I can play guitar and I and this word of God is amazing. I know what I'll do. I'll sing. The Word of God through songs. So he has about 50 songs, all Scripture. And he's not depressed anymore. He's certainly not, you know, he's not proud, but he's just living a, a, a good life, contributing to the kingdom in the most marvelous way. The music is called Project of Love. I'll say this again. The Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. The Father speaking to His Son. Yeah, 20, uh, Psalm 
I will proclaim the Lord's decree. He said to me, you are my son. Today I've become your father. Ask me and I will make the nations your inheritance, the ends of the earth your possession. And of course, Psalm 22, verse 2, talks about in the middle of the street and on the either side of the river was the tree of life, which bore 12 fruits, each tree yielding its fruit every month. The leaves of the tree was for the healing of the nations. Of course, the tree was in the garden. The river was in the garden. Trees and rivers are sacred. Of course, our indigenous people know that. And of course, they're upset that we rip the very guts of their soul out of them because they, they knew the land. Inescripably, oh, help me with that. Inescripably, help. No. Inextricably. Thank you, Phil Cairns. There's my, there's my guy. Inextricably, land, and especially the Jews, when you look back on the Bible, land is associated with people. People with the land. Inextricably. It's something that's immovable. That land in Israel belongs to God's people. I'm sorry anyone who has any political other views about that. But that land was given through Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob to God's people. It's only a little fraction piece of land compared to all the land the other guys have got. Amen. The land in Australia is inextricably connected to our indigenous brothers and sisters. You can't you can't remove that. It's in their DNA. And that's why it's a deep-seated trauma and grief that we took that from them. There's only one way to heal this world, heal this land. And it's through God, the river of God, the new Jerusalem that's coming down. We'll have a river. And the Bible says, Psalm 22, verse 2, in the middle of its street and on either side of the river was the tree of life, which bore 12 fruits, each tree yielding its fruit every month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. There's a healing coming, guys. It can come now through you and me. It can come now through the gospel, but it's going to come eventually through Christ ruling and reigning. It's going to come through the city of God. For this is what the Lord says in Isaiah 62, verse 12. For this is what the Lord says. You can lift that up a little bit more. Behold, I will extend peace to her like a river and the glory of the nations like an overflowing stream. And you will be nursed. You will be carried on the hip and rocked back and forth on the knee of the Father's love. Amen. Jesus, let your river flow through this church, through our hearts to bring healing to the nations, to bring healing to our indigenous brothers and sisters, to bring healing to every life that's represented here that has gone through a generational trauma of being invaded because Jesus is going to heal. Let's all stand. God is going to heal us.
He will do it. He will do it. And what is he singing?